Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode five of the Martial Arts Podcast. I am your host. My name is Adam Bockler. I'm a blogger, I'm an author, I'm a video uploader, and I'm a Zumba-er. I don't even know if that's the right word. Uh, more on that in a little bit. Most importantly, though, I am a martial artist. I created the Martial Arts Podcast for people like me who love martial arts. This podcast lets you get to know the person behind the uniform and the belt, or in today's case, the sash. Before we go any further, this podcast is supported by martial artists just like you. So rate, download, subscribe on iTunes or at adambockler.com. You can like the Martial Arts Podcast on Facebook. Hey, go over there. Let me know how I'm doing. Uh, send me some questions that I can answer on the next show. Let me know if you have any great ideas for who you'd like to hear on one of the future episodes of the Martial Arts Podcast. This episode's guest is Sifu Dexter Parker. He's a 40-year veteran of the martial arts after he started in the 1970s, and he's a multiple-time inductee into the USA Martial Arts Hall of Fame. Today, Mr. Parker teaches at his Trinity Training Center in Peoria, Illinois, and if you remember from episode 3 of the Martial Arts Podcast, I had on Eddie Parker, and uh, Dexter Parker is Eddie Parker's uncle. You can go back and listen to that episode to hear more about how Dexter trained Eddie, since he touches on it a little bit in this episode. Now, Dexter Parker and I have crossed paths a few times over the past couple of years. He's a good friend of Steve Aldis, who appeared on episode two of the Martial Arts Podcast. And uh, to give you a little bit of background on uh, Mr. Parker, Dexter Parker here, uh, one of the causes that's really close to him is St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, the Trinity Training Center and Eddie Parker's School of Combative Arts host a martial arts demonstration and seminar each year for St. Jude. And this year I was happy to participate, uh, as well as last year, uh, both times was a member of Steve Aldis's group doing a demonstration there. Uh, this year, actually on August 2nd, I did my own half-hour session on DDP yoga, which I was pretty happy about. Uh, thanks to both the Parkers and to Don Knox for organizing that event this year. I'll be sure to let everybody know about next year's event, and uh, as well as how you can attend or donate. For now, you can see a few videos by searching for Metamora Martial Arts on YouTube. August was a busy month for me, man. Uh, the same day that I did that St. Jude demo, I went to go see Girls, 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 and they're an all-female Motley Crue cover band, and really that has no relevance to this podcast, but I thought they were super badass, so go see them if you can. Uh, I spent the weekend after that demo in Las Vegas for a friend's bachelor party. And then the weekend after that, I was in Wisconsin for Brown's Karate Academy's Share the Martial Arts Camp. You can find more information about that at sharethemartialarts.com. Uh, but anyway, because of the busy schedule, that's why I'm putting this podcast out on the very last day of this month. But anyway, Share the Martial Arts was great. There were probably about 50 people there, and they were all so great to talk to. Uh, one of my goals is going to new seminars to meet new people and to build my network of quality martial artists. You guys have heard me talk a little bit about some of the ones I've been to in the past, including the Hall of Fame, including the Thai Campos Kali seminar that I was at in Moline. Uh, I had a great time working with uh, the partners that share the martial arts and talking to them about new ideas. Uh, I'm definitely interested in attending this weekend again, even if I was doing Zumba at 7 a.m. on a Saturday morning. Uh, I've never done that before, but it was still pretty fun. Uh, Rebecca, the teacher in charge of that, had a real blast, and you could tell she was having a lot of fun with that. Uh, honestly, though, I was a little bit horrified about sleeping in a cabin with probably about 10 kids, uh, but that turned out great because they were asleep by the time I came to bed, and they were still asleep when I woke up in the morning. I don't know, maybe that just makes me an old man, but uh, I don't know. Either way, the best thing that I got out of that camp was that it's forced me to reassess my priorities in the martial arts, and uh, that's about all I'll say on that for right now, but it was very therapeutic for me in a sense. Uh, you can find some videos from Share the Martial Arts online, once again, at youtube.com slash Arts. You know, speaking of priorities, Mr. Parker and I got to talking after I turned off the microphone. He said toward the end of the recording that Kung Fu has some answers for who you are, what you are, and why you are, and we talked about those for probably about another half hour after we stopped recording. Uh, there's definitely another conversation that needs to happen between us on the record. But hey, that's for another time. Today, we've got another conversation lined up for you. Here it is. Now, the style that I teach right now... Uh... That's the well. I teach hungar, which is not the style I started with. Uh, I uh, 
started with a style called Kung Tao, uh, and, and it's the way my instructor pronounces it. It's Kung Tao and C-Lot. Uh, sometime back, they were only just saying Indonesian, mm-hmm. you know, combat arts. They weren't really wanting to say C-Lot for some reason. As a matter of fact, when I started uh, training in it, there was... We didn't know what it was called, except it was Chinese, but mm-hmm. it wasn't just Chinese, but that was the main focus of it. But uh, I actually started the martial arts when I think I was like 16 or 17, and I started with judo. Uh, a buddy of mine was uh, taking some free classes and because uh, we were all real poor, so we couldn't really get into uh a regular school and, and study because we didn't have the money. Mm-hmm. But he took some, you know, they give away free classes, so he took some of those. He came back and was showing me, and then I, I because I hadn't went, I got to go to a free class, and we did that. And then I, I think the next thing was a little bit of karate, and then I got into taekwondo. I stayed in that a little bit, and then I got out of that because it wasn't the guy was one of the, it was a group called the Choi Brothers. I don't know if you're familiar. I feel with like that. I've heard of the Choi Brothers. I believe they're in California now, but they came, they came over from Korea like Sue Kim did, but Sue Kim had probably already been here twenty years, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, but they came and they were saying they had advertisements saying that they taught Bruce Lee style and stuff like that. And now, what years are we in right here? We're talking. Let me go. Oh, at that time, we're talking the seventies. Okay. Okay. With the with the taekwondo. Uh, uh, let's see. Then after that, well, one of the reasons I quit that is because the the instructor. I, I was really big into bodybuilding and stuff, and so I was huge. And uh, the guy said, "You're going to go for your yellow belt this weekend at a tournament." which I didn't really want to do tournaments. Mm-hmm. That wasn't why I took it, you know. But anyway, well, and then he said, I said, well, you mean I get, I'm get? i going to have to fight or spar, you know? And he goes, yeah, it's, you know, point sparring. I didn't even know what that was. <laughs> but he says, you're going to go for that. And uh, he goes, don't worry, you won't have to fight. I said, why not? He said, they're going to take one look at Jingle. I'm not fighting that guy. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, nah. That's not what I want, so I mm-hmm. quit, you know. Then it was sometime later I met uh, uh, my first Kung Fu instructor. His name was uh, Amin Shamsuddin. By this time it was in the 80s. It was around, let's see, 81, 82 maybe. That's when I met him. Met him at Caterpillar. We were both working there. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was funny. We were uh, he, he was another black guy and we were somehow we got on the conversation of Bruce Lee and he didn't like Bruce Lee. That really made me go, what? <laughs> what, what didn't he like about him? He, he thought he wasn't a real fighter. He thought he was just, uh, like, uh, what did he say? He, he was like a, a, a strategist who came up with ideas, but didn't, but really couldn't fight. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, he evidently hadn't read much about Bruce Lee's life, you know. But anyway, he got my attention when he said that. I, I said, why? I asked him why, and he, he said, yeah, I don't think he's a, I think he's just an actor. I said, wow. But anyway, he says, have you ever seen real kung fu? I go, yeah, Bruce Lee. And he goes, no, I mean, really, in real life. I go, no. And I, I said, you know, there, as far as I know, there weren't any schools around here. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know about uh, Master Aldis. I don't even know if he was here at the time. I'm sure he probably was. But uh, I said no. And so at lunch, he showed me this form from the, the Kung Tao, but he wouldn't tell me. He just said it was Kung Fu. Actually, he used the term Gung Fu, mm. okay, which is just a northern term, you know, because uh, when you say Kung Fu, that in, in Kung Tao, it's, uh, Gung Fu is the northern and, and Kung Fu is the, the southern. Okay. And if you use kung fu, the kung fu term, you're referring to the hard aspects. And if you use, uh, the, actually, the kung fu is actually Mandarin, but that is the uh, softer side of the, at least that's what my instructor says. And I read stuff, and it's, some of it's a little bit 
different, you know, mm-hmm. depending on the region and, and who, what you're talking about. But I'm going, well, you know, this is what he says about his system, so I'm not going not gonna to knock that. Right. But anyway, I met this guy and saw that he showed me this form at lunch. He says, you want to see more? Come on down to the school. Well, that was a good sell point because <laughs> after I saw it, I was like, that's what I was looking for, the way they moved, mm-hmm. the flow. So I went, and I was hooked from, from that time on. That was around the 80s, yeah, early 80s. Okay. And then uh, uh, around 83, 84, the school shut down. I mean, was originally from Buffalo, New York. He was also a Muslim. And I uh, actually tried to get a lot of the students to, you know, go with that belief. But mm-hmm. we were kind of like, uh, I don't know what that is. He gave me these two books. I guess they were the Quran. So uh, I had read the Bible before. And so I was looking through these just because, you know, he gave them to him, And I thought, well, I might as well at least look at them. Oh, yeah. So I looked at them. And they, they all of them, both books seem like a, a larger version of Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, where it has a lot of wisdom that's quoted in there, you mm-hmm. know. And that's what those seem like to me, but I wasn't really interested in, in that. So You're probably just like, dude, I just want, to, I just want the martial yeah, arts. Yeah, well, <laughs> actually, I wasn't the only one because he asked us. He asked a class one time, and we were all kind of like, well, we don't really want to do that. He's, he just dropped it. Mm-hmm. He never said anything else about it after mm-hmm. that. So, But uh, that's where everything started. And, you know, as time went on, when the school closed, uh, there was one advanced student by the name of Sylvester Hunter that uh, a lot of us went and started training with him because he was the only one left. Uh, I mean, went to back to New York, mm-hmm. and we haven't heard from him since. Hmm. Even with the Internet, we've been, people have been trying to find him, and we just, just can't, can't seem to locate him. He mm-hmm. was actually... Uh, he had met a student at Bradley who lived in Cleveland, Ohio, because that's where my instructor's from. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, was the he opened the the school here, and it was just a branch of the Cleveland school, and but he was under a master named Greg Mayo, who's a grandmaster now. But he uh, he basically was his student. Well, then uh, Grandmaster Reginald McKissick, who was just uh, just a seafood at the time that I met him, mm-hmm. uh, he came down because Arthur Seitz, who is the the founder of, the, I think it was called the North American School of Kung Fu. And that's where those guys went when they went up there. And But uh, Arthur Seitz would assign different instructors to new students. And these guys were from out of town. They would go up, I think, every three months. They would travel from Peoria and go up there to train. Wow! Yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was. And then we didn't get to, we didn't we didn't get to do that uh, because Reggie came here for about six months. Uh, Reggie McKissick, that's who my instructor, uh, the Grandmaster, is now. Now Arthur Seitz and the founder of well, I shouldn't say he's not he's not the founder, but he uh, was the next guy in line to get the Kung Tao system. And the, I don't know if you've ever heard of Wheelam Readers. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, that's his English name. His Chinese name is, he was named after his great uncle, uh, Lu Shan. Now there was the senior who was a, a priest in the Shaolin Temple. Um, the story goes is <laughs> uh, that uh Shan's, I think it was his grandmother eloped with a Dutch prince, and she was a, a Chinese princess. Mm-hmm. Well, she, well, this Dutch prince asked for her hand in marriage, and they just, you know, they just laughed at the guy and said, <laughs> no way, you know. So uh, they eloped, left China, and Lushan's great uncle was given the task to go and bring her back. And, uh, she refused, and he and he was like, "Well, this is what I heard." Mm-hmm. Okay, there's two stories I heard. So, um, this this one I'm telling you now doesn't. There's probably no way to prove that, but well, but he did he did go. She refused, so he stayed because he said if he went back, he wouldn't be able to come back. Mm-hmm. You know, but the uh, the other story that is in print now is that. Uh, 
in China, uh, Lu Xiang's great uncle, who has who was Lu Xiang Senior, uh, and that's the way they do that. They don't say great uncle or grandfather. So it's senior. It's senior, yeah. And uh, so uh, he actually got in a fight with five uh, uh, kung fu martial artists. One of them threw glass in his eyes, and it, and it blinded him. Mm-hmm. But he still. He killed all five of those guys. And without sight. Without sight. This is the guy that was the priest. And so he basically moved with, this is the second story, he moved with his uh, niece, and the niece eventually had, had a daughter. The daughter had Lushan, or Wheelam Readers. And so since he was, he couldn't go back to China because he was, he feared he would be. He was older, and he was mm-hmm. going to be killed. So he stayed in Indonesia, and because uh, that's where they went. And uh, he, uh, the the uh, Dutch prince and the the princess, the Chinese princess. That's where they went, and uh, so he went there to live with them. And in turn, for letting him live with them, they he trained Lushan. Uh, I guess you would say junior. Or, yeah. uh, the best way to, to keep from getting confused is to say Lu- Wheelam Readers mm-hmm. because he was he was half uh, Dutch and half Chinese. Well, his great uncle took him to the Shaolin Temple when he was like nine, and they did that for 10 years. So he, he could get in there and get back, and uh, that's how he – and he was given the royal – it's called the Royal Lushan – uh, gung fu system, and it's the kung tao that they talk about. There is not the same as what you when you see kung tao see lot. You'll see a lot of that, and actually in that system, there's like a higher level only taught to the firstborn. Hmm. It's only supposed to be handed down from father to son. Even if he has ten sons, only the first one gets it. And Even if, like, his ability isn't that great and... Well, see, th- th- I'm sure they would make some type of, uh, uh, you know, allotment in case that mm-hmm. happened. But uh, usually uh, it was always passed down like that. And so his great uncle decided, you know, that since he couldn't go back to China, he didn't have a son. So he decided to teach Wheelam. Mm-hmm. So that's how Wheelam got it. Wheelam wasn't... Um, the traditional type as far as who he was going to teach. <laughs> and uh, he eventually did have a son. I think he married three different times. He outlived all but one wife. Wow. Yeah. So <laughs> he's a pretty healthy guy. But he did have a, he did have a, a son that uh, actually I think maybe two sons. Some kind of aren't sure about the second one. Uh, and so uh, that son got handed what, you know. But Wheelam was not uh, going to just keep it at that. He he thought that that was too rigid of a custom. So mm-hmm. he uh, he started training anyone, well, anyone that really wanted to train with him. So he got he got past the, the idea of just only training the firstborn son and, and only Asians, you know. Actually, they really wouldn't. The, you would get this second uh, lower level type kung tao. You wouldn't get the royal. Mm-hmm. But Lushan trained. Well, they really don't know how many people he trained in that style. But he stopped teaching it and said that enough people know it now that it'll survive if something happens to me. Yeah. And so he went on and started. Uh, uh, was because he was in Indonesia. He 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 trained with Silat uh, experts and. Uh, there was one guy, the Detorses. Are you familiar with them? Mm-mm. I don't know a whole lot about like Silat and, and okay. Hungar and stuff. Well, actually, the Chinese uh, had migrated to Indonesia, and uh, when they went there, they didn't want to call their their art kung fu because they weren't in China. They thought that should have only been reserved mm. for you know the Chinese culture as far as the title. So they called it kung tao. This kung tao just means Chinese. It's another way of saying Chinese way, okay? And and you'll hear the term Chinese hands, Indonesian feet, and uh, really when they're talking about the hands, uh, that's not really what they mean. It, it, it really refers to 
body alignment. Mm-hmm. Okay, and what they like to, the reason they added the the C lot footwork is because some of the footwork was very um, very quick, a lot quicker than a lot of your kung fu uh, traditional styles. Like if you were looking at Wing Chun or even Hungar, Hungar has by itself is a is considered a hard style in the Chinese uh, systems. They kind of compare it more to a, a karate system. Mm-hmm. Okay, so some do, some don't. But it, there's a lot more to Hungar than most people. Uh, what what it's mostly known for is the tiger and crane set. Okay, well a lot of times in China, if you say I I train in Hungar, and they'll say, Oh, tiger and crane. That's that's what they. Uh, they look at it as that, mm-hmm. and and it's a lot more than that because <laughs> you, are there more animals involved? Y- yeah, there are. I mean, you have the tiger and the crane, which is which really balances out the the theory of yin and yang. But so you also have the crane, the snake, and the leopard. And uh, if you were if you were comparing the leopard and the tiger, you would say, okay, what's the difference? These are both cats, you know, big cats in terms of a man. Mm-hmm. But the tiger is a lot bigger than the leopard. So what you get from the leopard is that, uh, that what's just different from the tiger is that the leopard is not going to confront you head on. The, the tiger will. has no fear. Okay, so it's all force when you let go. I mean, when he leaps, there's no turning back. <laughs> <laughs> For instance, you could shoot a tiger if you could shoot him in the head. Mm-hmm. Once he leaps, even though you hit him in the head, that momentum doesn't stop. He's, he's he doesn't just down. drop. It, that momentum is going to carry forward. If you have a big enough gun, I guess you could blow him apart. But but if you could, if you could just, you know, if you were a marksman and you hit him right in the brain, uh, basically he would instantly die. Mm-hmm. But that momentum, that power that he he used to push forward, it, it's like a car at 80 miles an hour. You hit the brakes, it doesn't stop. Yeah. <laughs> it has to slow down, yep. you know, unless it hits something that it just folds it up, you know what I mean, like a brick wall mm-hmm. or something. But uh, so that's, but the leopard will use glancing blows, and they're super fast. They, he will, the leopard will hit you with multiple strikes, but none that um, he basically wants to wear you down. Circle you. Mm-hmm. The tiger's going to come in and just rip you apart because you can't stop him. Sounds like the leopard's just going to play with you a little bit. Really. Well, it uses its agility and its speed to fight you. It doesn't use its strength to to take you out. Okay. Okay. Where the where the tiger would now the crane. This is why the tiger and crane are a perfect match. The crane possesses no strength as far as. Uh, muscle, mm-hmm. okay, and brute force. So what it does is offset. When you're tr- learning this style, you offset your your power with this softness, okay. And like one of the sets I teach is the two man tiger and crane set. It's where two guys are playing out this role of movements. One is the tiger, and one is the crane. And then as you move along, you're switching both both. Uh, practitioners switch back and forth. Uh, if I come at you with a tiger strike, my, your partner is going to counter that with a crane. And what it does, it just it uses softness not to stop your strike, but just to move it over mm-hmm. and then make an opening so that it, it could strike. Yeah, and it sounds like with the lack of muscle, you know, a crane would need to be precise. Oh yeah, and the cranes, a true crane practitioner would not move until he had to move. Doesn't second guess, doesn't hesitate. Mm-hmm. But the deception is he doesn't buy into all the movement. <laughs> just wait on you and just watch you. <laughs> and then it'll only move what it needs to move to take you out. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's, uh, that's a neat uh, system to learn, you know. And uh, actually, Hungar was the ones who came, that system came up with the tiger and crane. Uh, in the beginning, Hungar was primarily tiger, and crane was added uh, a little while later, not too far down the line. But then they started adding others, other stuff like this, the leopard, mm-hmm. uh, the snake. The snake has a, 
uh, diff different attributes than like even the crane, you know. But then there's also the dragon, which is uh, focusing more on internal power, internal striking. So when they strike, they're going to strike at nerves, you know. The crane does a little bit of that, so does the snake. Where the tiger and the leopard basically are going to, well, the tiger's just going to break you in two. Mm -hmm. You know, it's going to use all its power on you. It would only take one strike from the tiger to end you. The leopard, maybe about, depending on who you are and, and, and what it is you're trying to do, uh, the leopard would might use three or four, maybe five or six. But he's always coming in on angles where the tiger just comes brute force right at you. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't really, it doesn't really, it just like sees you and whack. That's it. <laughs> the leopard's kind of like moving around, maneuvering, trying to bait you. You know, you ever see, you ever watch two cats go at it or a cat go at it with a dog? Mm -hmm. You know, here's a dog, bigger animal, but, you know, he's going to use his teeth to get that cat. But that cat uses those claws. Yeah. And uh, when that dog puts his nose out there, he gets it and he goes back and like, I don't want no more of that. <laughs> and they can get it in the eye and all that. And the cat's a lot faster. Yeah. You, you know, it just depends if the dog could catch him off balance or something. Because it even happens in nature. You see where uh, an animal makes a mistake, you know, with instinct and then they pay for it. <laughs> but uh, you, so you have those. Those five animals are, mm -hmm. are basically what you have in Hungar. Now, in Kung Tao, it goes all the way up to 12. So it's a little bit different. Yeah. Yeah, but it still has those five, and it adds the other, the other to make out 12. What, uh, what are some of the other animals that Kung Tao in, has? In Kung Tao, you have the monkey. You have, uh, let's see, uh, they have the bear, which is in some ways similar to the tiger, but uh, in a different way, mm -hmm. you know, monkey is one of the one of the major ones they use a lot in that system because they do they do a lot of rolling on the ground. You know, you come at them and if you're trying to get them, they'll roll around and climb right up on you and hang on to you like a monkey would, and then just whack you. <laughs> it's, it, it also kind of looks like in in the system I learned the monkey is very fluid. It doesn't, uh, even though it can jump around and be kind of erratic in its movements, you ever see a real, like a chimpanzee when they're moving around, uh, they can come straight at you and all of a sudden they can just go off this way and then right back. And they're, of course, they're really, really strong. Mm -hmm. But uh, you, and then you have uh, the uh, parts of the crane uh, in there. Uh, also, the like the praying mantis, they have some of that. And so they, you kind of wonder, like, where did, why did they put all these different animals in there, you know? They have the eagle, where you see the eagle claw. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it has a lot of, lot, of, lot of stuff about the same thing. Yeah. Pretty much uh, fits a, a lot more body types than Hungar probably would, you know. But uh, uh, a lot of the things are similar, though. Uh, so... Uh, I was talking to my instructor one time. I asked him about Hungar because uh, when the school closed, I still didn't know the name of the system. It was, it was, they didn't tell anybody. Hmm. And now it's out there everywhere. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm sure, you know, there's a commercial benefit to it and oh, yeah, people want yeah. to be known. Well, you know, one of the, I asked my instructor why uh, at that time they didn't tell you what it was. He says, well, because of so many people would start and then quit. So at some point they decided not to tell them hmm. what it was. So that if they went over and said, well, I studied this, I've had people do that with said, Hey, I studied under Dexter Parker. And I, I go, I don't really remember them. <laughs> and I said, they might've came for one class. Yeah. <laughs> I go, that's not studying. You know, that, they just got a free class. Cause I offer mm -hmm. a couple free classes to try it out. And then you don't, you know, if you don't see them again, you don't see them again. Yeah. But uh, but that was they said they had a lot of that and people claiming to have uh, advanced really far and they're like uh, no they don't know who that is mm -hmm. and so uh, but uh, now they it, that, one of the things too was that the two guys that uh, Lushan or 
Wheelam Readers, and Arthur Seitz, both of those guys were, well, Arthur Seitz it was the founding father of the North American School of, of Kung Fu, but he was the highest ranking non-Asian in, in, that Lu Shan promoted. And so I think that was like a fourth degree red sash. Actually, it's blood red. And I, I like, what is it called? Or blood red or rose red? I said, well, why is it called that? He said, well, you know how you, when you tie your the bow, your the sash, it, it has this big bow. Mm-hmm. It looks like a flower. It looks kind of strange, but you look at that. And when when I, Reggie was at the school back almost 30 years ago now, uh, his wasn't tied like that. So I'm not sure if they even had that in mind at the time. A lot of things changed from what I was taught to what they teach right now. They, they, they've made some changes in some things. And so, like, some of the techniques were changed, too. Because mm-hmm. we used to do this one basic one, and when Reggie was going over that with me. He says, because when you uh, – what, what we're trying to do right now is have my school and, and what he's doing on the same page, you know, and make sure there's no uh, variances and stuff, you know, because that happens a lot. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he said, yeah, the, the first basic – technique he showed me that and i said yeah we but the one you showed me has a a punch to the ribs he goes yeah he goes i added that he goes that wasn't originally part of it <laughs> i said oh okay so i said so that was okay he goes yeah he goes you're gonna do the same thing <laughs> i go yeah, yeah. <laughs> actually i already have because <laughs> there's a like a there's there's like a 30-year gap between us mm-hmm. when i when that school closed reggie went back to cleveland and I didn't see him for 30 years. So what I did was I took what I had and I just worked it. I mean, he even told me, he says, if you work with this, he goes, you're going to figure out a lot of it because what we start you out with, he goes, there's no, there's no hiding anything. This, this is why we don't tell you the name. But what you're learning, well, it always, I mean, anytime I had an altercation with somebody and I had to defend myself, it always worked. Mm-hmm. Not once did it not work. So I was like, there's a lot more to this than what they told me. <laughs> but but uh, I had did some demos and sent those to Reggie when I connected back up with him. And he was watching that. And he told me the last, he was here last October. We did a little thing here. And uh, he put a little bit of it on on uh, his website. I think it's even on YouTube. Whereas I think I did see that. The thing with the triangle. He's yeah. explaining the northern uh-huh. and southern triangle. Yep. And, well, there's a lot more that he, he only went. Oh, I'm sure that was that a three-minute video. Yeah, that was like really that. short. And we spent four and a half hours down here. Huh. So that was great. I was, I was, but he says, you know, he goes, I know you're thinking that because you have this gap here that you you, you don't know a lot of stuff. He goes, you may not know what something is called. He says, but you know the movements because you figured it out. <laughs> I go, what a way to teach a system. <laughs> so basically right now what we're doing is uh, we're, uh, he's, he's giving me all the information on actually what I already know. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just promoted me to uh, first degree orange. That takes 20 years just on a, on a regular uh, time basis, you know. But he says, when I come back, you'll, I'm going to promote you to third. We're going to even just skip. He says, you really probably should be. I can't rank you where I'm at, mm-hmm. yet, but, you know. Uh, but he says, you're, you're like, this close to that. So, Congratulations. So I was like, wow, that's good. But he says, you know, how many guys keep it up after the school closes and you can't contact yeah. anybody? You know, so it, it was, uh, I just was determined to keep going. I, I could see the value in what I had. I wasn't planning on teaching. That was the farthest thing from my mind. <laughs> well, I, I do want to ask you about that, but I want to ask you real quick to to clarify. So, uh, is would the lineage be you and then Reggie and then the younger version of Lushan, or how does that? Work? Oh, it starts with the lineage, and I'm going to put that on my website. Okay, and I'm going to put it on a bulletin board here. It starts with uh, uh, Lushan Senior, which is actually the great uncle right and then it would be Wheelam readers then it would be arthur sites now arthur sites uh he's the one that trained reggie but reggie was 
so uh, exceptional that he earned the right to – he actually trained with Lushan for a year, hmm. went and lived with him for one whole year, and then he came back to Cleveland. And uh, uh, that's uh, – so Arthur Sykes sent Reggie here to Peoria to help out this branch. And uh, Reggie says, you know, when I was sent down here by Arthur Sykes, he goes, you were my first – student that I promoted we it took uh, it takes uh six months to two years to get a white sash in that that system and otherwise you just have nothing you don't have anything you, you, you don't have anything it is actually it's a real test of character for a person to go that long but uh Reggie came uh he, he would come back and forth you know but this uh about the third or fourth time he came he stayed uh about six months and uh, he uh, he came in one day and says, you're testing. I was like, it's out of the blue. And I was like, wow. So I tested and, and passed. And he said, do you know you are the first in the history of our schools to get your white sash as soon as you did? I said, well, I couldn't remember how much time it was. He said, yeah, it was like five months. Hmm. He said, usually it's six months to two years. Well, we would have people come in from time to time that wanted to challenge the, the instructor. Like, I mean, well, they always had to start with the white sashes. But uh, they, <laughs> it was embarrassing a lot of times. <laughs> Those white sashes would just – I was waiting for my turn, but there was a guy uh, two or three months ahead of me. He said, you spar him first. And then if you then you got to spar the next guy and then all the way up before you can get to me. You just don't get to come in and and do that. That's not our custom, you know. But the lineage would be uh, Arthur Seitz, uh, Reginald McKissick, and then me. Okay. And then I have Ed and a guy named uh, a student named uh, uh, I can't remember his name right now, but he's in the Navy and he's making a career of it. But uh, Real good guy. He's he's off still doing what, what I taught him. Nice. <laughs> so that's really nice to see that. And then Ed, of course, being, you know, having his own school and carrying mm-hmm. it on, which is what I, uh, you know, after a point, that's what you really live for after that. You want your art to, to carry on. You don't really care about what happens to you at, at that point, mm-hmm. you know, because you're right where, uh, you know, you need to pass it on or it's not going to get passed on, you know, so – I'm really proud of him and all the things. I mean, he jokes around a lot, but he's really a good guy. And he's a good martial artist. Yeah. You know, he had some hard training. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that a little bit. Because, you know, you were saying that you didn't envision yourself as a teacher. And then... I didn't. I, I didn't do – at first, uh, I really didn't think about that. And they used to always – he'll probably tell you, every time I saw Uncle, he was training. And and that was true. I was always training. I mean, I'd work and work, and uh, then I'd train. And so a lot of times he would come over, him and my other nephew and my uh, younger brother, uh, bug me. They would just bug me about, well, show me, show me. I go, nah, well, it was like five. Mm-hmm. So I didn't take him serious, you know. And he's not going <laughs> to keep up with this, you know. And anyway, one day they just, I guess I, they kept bugging me. So I said, okay, I'll tell you what, do a horse stance. I, so I taught him a horse stance. And I said, now I want to see you do that. And I knew that if anything was going to turn them off, this would turn them off and they would leave me alone. <laughs> That's how it started out. But it didn't turn them off. They wanted to do it. And they and so I would just make them go longer, make them go longer, and I wouldn't show them anything but a horse stance at first. And then finally I got to looking at them thinking, you know, they're, they're serious. I'm going to have to, <laughs> I'm going to, have to do something Uh-oh. here. So uh, – I, I would have every time they'd come over, we would spend time training, and then eventually they got big enough to where they could spar. They, him and Ed and Carnell, we call him Corn. He's the uh, Ed's cousin. Uh, I think he's like maybe two years younger than Ed. Okay. And so, but they would they would spar all the time, you know. And you know they started getting pretty good. So then I figured I better really start. Showing them something <laughs> and, and teaching them the uh, the art itself instead of just uh, these little techniques and, and the sparring stuff. Mm-hmm. So I asked them if they would really, really. I said, I know you guys are telling me you want to do this, but look, I'm serious. Do you really want to 
you want to learn any more than what I've shown you? And they, yeah. And I'm looking at them, kind of trying to, you know, read all of that, whether mm-hmm. they're really real or not. And uh, they were showing it by their actions, but they were pretty young, you know. They, it was five. Yeah, Carnell was maybe four or three or four, something like that. He was, And he was little, so I was thinking he really won't uh, keep with it. But they did. They did for a long time. Then as Ed got into high school, he started bringing his buddies around. And I wound up on the weekends just teaching for – I wasn't charging anything. Mm-hmm. I just taught a bunch of their his friends and stuff. And finally, it, I wound up with a school, you know, mostly in the garage and basement sort of thing. And that grew and grew until we wound up here. Yeah. Because <laughs> I got too crowded there. Had a little bitty basement. It wasn't even – wasn't even big as this section here. And we had 20, 25 people in there. Oh, my like, gosh. Oh, man, we got to go somewhere else. And so uh, that's what happened. We wound up here and been going ever since. Now, tell me a little bit about the training methodologies you Ooh, used. <laughs> the training, I, uh, one of the reasons I trained Ed the way I did and Carnell is because, well, Ed was real gullible. <laughs> when he was a kid you know what i mean people would tell him stuff and he would believe it he, even when they're joking with him he couldn't realize he didn't realize they were joking things like that and plus he would just he had this wild imagination and he talked constantly no i don't i don't believe blah, that blah 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 blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and i would say i said wait a minute he goes what i said what did you just say uh he couldn't remember what he because he just he just had this dialogue <laughs> going and it would just come out of his mouth and Carnell would, would watch him sometimes and says, don't you ever think about what you say? <laughs> this is this is true stuff. He'll 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 just laugh at you now about it. But, I mean, you can see why he's a comedian. Oh, yeah. He's, he's perfect for that, yeah. you know. But at the time, we didn't have any idea. That that was, we thought he was just a little strange, you know. <laughs> and uh, so I figured, well, I better train him because he's, he's going to get himself in trouble with, with his mouth, you know. Mm-hmm. He's going to say stuff that he can't back up, and and then there was a few times when he did have to use it, but he didn't really, didn't really uh, wind up having to really hurt somebody. He mm-hmm. never got in trouble for it. But uh, the training was based on the training that I got, and it was man, we would have people come in every week checking the school out, and they would try to do some of the training, and they couldn't couldn't hang, and they they wouldn't come back. Mm. We would start out with uh, four or five hundred jumping jacks, then, and then we would uh, we would do all this all these drills. I mean, well, horse stances for oh an hour, you know, and you couldn't you couldn't uh, stop. You had to keep going. Then we'd run four or five miles, come back and do techniques and do forms. <laughs> we did that for three hours on Saturday. And then it was it was an hour and a half class. I went six days a week. The only day I didn't go was Sunday. Uh, and I so when I was on third, I went twice. I went in the morning right after work, and then I would I would uh, before I'd go back to work, I'd go to class. Hmm. And I got burnt out after a while though. I just got I was at work one evening, and I was at this little counter. Uh, it was about like this, and I was keeping track of these. Uh, parts that go by i had to log them and stuff and i was standing there waiting for him to come down and i went to sleep i mean actually i was still holding the pen and i had my hand here on this this uh table or counter like and went to sleep my boss <laughs> come by and did this i jumped and went oh man <laughs> and he says you gotta do that go in the bathroom <laughs> don't be doing that right out here i was like wow i can't believe i went to i didn't even move you know, I was like, you'd think you'd fall over or something or, or you know, nod over. Mm-hmm. But I didn't do that. I just stood there uh, looking down at this paper. My head was down and my eyes were closed. So that's when I realized I need to, I got to back off a little bit. So I just started only going at, in the uh, evening. Mm-hmm. And uh, But the training was, man, we did stuff like we went to the park and we uh, we would palm strike a tree and we had to pull the bark off. And just you know, keep doing that till we you know, stuff like that. And then we had that uh, the, what was supposed to be the uh, uh, iron palm training. We would stick our hands in hot water, 
And uh, then we would stick them in these lima beans. We'd just thrust them in there. You had to pull up a handful, but you couldn't drop any of them. There was a penalty for dropping them. <laughs> wow. I mean, you had to hold them. You could let them go like that once you were done. But we would put them in this. There was something in the – never did find out. And I just never did research why we had to do that specific training. But there was something in the lima beans. I don't know – if he put something in there, uh, usually it was a herb so that it wouldn't damage your hands because you can get nerve damage from doing all that stuff, you know. It's to toughen up your hands so that they would have a lot of callus. So externally they would be real tough, mm -hmm. but the herbs were to keep you from having nerve damage because you would, uh, you would damage the nerves banging on something like that. We had this big log. It was about this wide uh, or long, and it was – that big around and we would take that thing and two guys would face each other in born arrow stances with your chest facing forward you'd hold this thing here and then you'd have to roll it off your arms and the other guy had to catch it and let it roll down and hit here it would hit you in the chest the first time i did it it knocked me into the wall knocked me down i, I wasn't really sure what i just seen it coming so i tried to and then i tried to catch it and it came and landed on my forearms like this oh man but that didn't last very long because it threw me into the wall the force of it and we but you know after that i braced myself for it and that didn't happen again but it was like what a shock yeah <laughs> but we had that kind of training and uh lots of stance training they did that like you wouldn't believe it it, it was a vital part of the training i mean and that's what i trained ed and them in the same stuff so as time went on, though, like I don't do that now because I did it a few times with a few of the students. Like this, this Chris Kenny was the guy I was trying to remember. Uh, that's in the Navy. He went through it. Ed went through it. Uh, Carnell, uh, a few others, but not many. The rest of them would quit. <laughs> now, did they have to show you like a certain attitude before you would show them oh, that yeah. type of training? Yeah, yeah. They had to. I had to make sure they were going to stick with it. Uh, they also had to be conditioned to do, you'd start out with low level stuff and then move up, mm -hmm. you know, like for, for instance, the horse stances, uh, not just the horse stance, but all the stances that we did, you would, uh, like we would do, my instructor would climb on your back when you were in a bow stance and then you had to walk with him and stay in the bow stance. You couldn't come straight up. Mm -hmm. You had to walk in it with him on your shoulders. Uh, one of the things we do, too, is you'll get into both stands, and he'll climb up on your back leg. The goal of that was to never get in that stance and be uh, lazy. You know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. you see students do it, and I'll come by, and I'll touch this that back part of the calf. Mm -hmm. And if it moves, they're not concentrated enough or they're not. And then that also taught you the root. And I'm sure you understand the, the, the theory of rooting and in your stance work, especially the horse, the bow. Mm -hmm. Now, when you're looking at the cat or reverse bow or twisting leg, it's a little different because those are mobile. In our system, those are mobile stances. Uh, you're not going to stay in those long. Those are very brief, you know. A lot of the leopard strikes are done from the cat, which fits it pretty well yeah. since you're doing cat strikes. <laughs> but uh, then there was all kinds of uh, isometric exercises we did. We did those a lot, and uh, my instructor's philosophy was we're, f we're learning to uh, be able to fight a thousand men, and we would look at him. He'd say that, we'd look like a thousand. <laughs> you, you know, you couldn't imagine trying to fight a thousand guys, but we were training like it. <laughs> it was hard. A lot of guys would quit, but I was like, uh, and the guys that stayed with it, we just was determined. You know, when I first saw them, when I went to the school the first time and watched them do a full set, I was like, oh, yeah. I might as well lock the door. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> now, what, had, what had drawn you to it? Like, I mean, was there something as a kid? That you're as like, a kid, as, as a kid, one of, believe it or not, one of my favorite shows was Kung Fu the Series. Even though, you know, you had David Carradine doing it, I didn't know much about him or anything, but... There were real Chinese in there doing forms, mm -hmm. and I liked I liked the philosophy of the show. One and 
The other one, actually, probably before Kung Fu was the Green Hornet, where you had Bruce Lee playing Kato. Mm-hmm. And that was, that. I was like, man, I wish I could do that. You know, but there was nothing like like that around here at that, that I knew of at that, at, at that time. And at the age, I think I was like maybe 12 when that was on. That was in the 60s. Yeah, there's some kids over there. That's all right. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so that's that's really what drew me to that. And plus, I grew up in the Taft homes back in the 60s and part of the 70s. Uh, very violent place. It was, you know, at the, they, there was a, I was just talking to a guy today about that. And uh, one time the Black Panthers were down there. There was an altercation with one relative of these, this group. And, man, they called in the National Guard, the FBI. They made a, a, a mandatory curfew. They just they said, right now there's a curfew. They just established it right at that moment. And they let all these German shepherds out and chase people to their houses. Wow. <laughs> it was crazy. And then I think before I... I think I was probably 12 or 11 or 12. I got in a fight with like 10 guys. It's just something that it kind of just escalated. One guy threw an egg and hit hit me in the head. And uh, he was standing behind two guys laughing. I didn't know martial arts at the time, but I had watched uh, uh, Green Hornet. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't think, I can't, I think I was an adult when Kung Fu came on. But I was I was a teenager when the Green Hornet was on, but uh, this guy was laughing, and I remember pushing these. I just pushed these two guys aside and went bang! I hit this guy with my fist. He fell down. I jumped on him and just started pounding that guy. And then all of a sudden, I was getting kicked and punched, and and I came up just hitting guys. <laughs> even didn't even know martial arts, but after that, I I I felt like I. Uh, had lost control, mm-hmm. you know, and then I knew enough about the martial arts that it, it would give you that control, and that was probably one of the things that drew me to that after after having that. Of course, I never got any more fights after that. <laughs> Nobody wanted to mess with me. They would they would they didn't bother me no more after that fight. Yeah, yeah. I guess I had kind of got gained a reputation, but that wasn't fun at all. <laughs> It was, I really didn't want to want to fight, you know what I mean? And so, but I always, I always seemed like I was drawn to like Bruce Lee. And so when the movies, he started making those movies, I, man, I bought everything that you could get a hold of about Bruce Lee, you know? But, and so that was, you could probably say he was one of my idols yeah. at that time, you know? And I, I really did like Kung Fu. I thought it was pretty good. I didn't really, at that time, I really wasn't into who the actor was and, I was just watching him move. I liked that flow. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, I think at that time he was kind of considered like a, a dancer because he didn't really know Kung Fu. But they had a, they had a Chinese uh, master there that uh, I think what we call it now, they choreography, uh, they call it theatrical martial mm-hmm. arts. You have these people now, but back then you didn't have that title. Yeah. But they had a guy who was the director of all the fight scenes and stuff, and they based everything that they did on on his recommendation. I can't remember who that was, but uh, I'm sure it's on some Wikipedia article somewhere. Oh yeah, and you know, here's what's here's another interesting thing. Uh, Lou Sean or Wheelam Readers mm-hmm. was the uh, they consulted him for the Shaolin Temple scenes. Hmm. And actually, Kwai Chain Kane was Lu Shan. And Master Poe was uh, the great uncle, Lu Shan. Hmm. The guy that was blind. They, they basically kind of patterned uh, those characters after, after him. And, and do you know that Bruce Lee was the one that came up with that idea for Kung Fu? Mm-mm. Yeah. After the Green Hornet was canceled... He and the director of the Green Hornet came up with this. Uh, well, they both wanted to do another series, but it would be more. It was about the Old West and a guy doing kung, uh, kung fu. In the Old West. Yeah. And that was <laughs> that was Bruce Lee's idea. But uh, he actually he submitted it to the, to the studio, 
they liked it, but they said we we can't have a Chinese play it. So they 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 said anyway, isn't this character supposed to be a half breed? But Bruce Lee goes, yeah, but I can play that, you know. But they said no, and so David Carradine was chosen to play it. Hmm. Yeah, but Bruce Lee spent time with Lushan. They, there's uh, my I asked my instructor about that. I said, is that just a rumor or is that is that real? And he goes, no, that was it was true. Hmm. Uh, after that time, Bruce Lee came up with. Jeet Kune Do, you know, which was a combination of different styles. Right. And the Kung Tao that we have, uh, it's changed a little bit, but it's a mixture of a little bit of, there are like seven internal styles that are part of it, which is the soft, and then there you have these, this hard side. And uh, in the soft side, you have Chi Kung, you have Tai Chi, you have Bakwa, you have Singing. <laughs> These are all in there. and But what portions of it, uh, is it, that's supposed to be still a, a, a kind of a secret. But for the uh, the guy who knows what to look for, mm-hmm. you can see it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know. But uh, so that's, that's pretty much the gist of all that. So what uh, what types of things are you teaching now? I teach uh, well. I teach Hungar, and the reason I when the school closed, you, you know, uh, I was looking for some way to continue training in it and getting more knowledge, but uh, there was none available. So one of the guys I trained with was saying he said that I mean, which was the guy who started the Peoria school, uh, said that Hungar is called Hungar, and I was like. Hungar. So I, I started researching Hungar. At that time, all you could get was magazines and mm-hmm. books and, and videotapes, you know, the VHS stuff. I started looking at that stuff, and I was like, that's not what we do. But I said, but, you know, there's a lot of similarities. So I started training in that, too. But uh, the Kung Tao was, to me, a more aggressive system, you know, a more spontaneous there's a spontaneity in when you strike, man. It's like that person that you're striking. Well, once they strike, they don't get anything else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, for instance, when he was explaining the triangle, a guy punches, you give him, you give him that like that inch, uh, but then that's letting him step in the triangle. But if you're in the triangle, he doesn't even get the move. <laughs> he, he he actually is about to move, and you just cancel that. Mm-hmm. You cancel that movement. He doesn't get to do anything. There's no uh, countering it. it. So if the guy doesn't really pay attention to what you're doing, he's like done. Hmm. So it's it's uh, it's. But what happens is there's this explosive movement. There's the alignment puts your body in a position where the laws of physics are. You can see it working there. You. You actually turn on a 45 as you're striking. Mm-hmm. The guy's coming right at you. He, he starts to step, and he doesn't even get the – it's like he's thinking to move, and he doesn't get to finish it. He does, it, it, it the, the jar to your 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 brain is like, it's like everything just shut off. Like, what just happened? You know, you're not dead, <laughs> but you're like, if that didn't warn you to stop or back off, mm-hmm. uh, and then the next one, you're down. Yeah. You know, so I mean, that's that's the difference between that and Hungar. Basically, allows you to build this what we call the bridge, and uh, uh, you basically would counter from that. You you want that contact, and you would build off of that. But the guy does have a chance to counter if he's paying attention. If he's not, then the same scenario is going to happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so but I teach. You know, I'm teaching kids. Uh, I have a regular kids class. Uh, I teach them more about self-defense. It's more of the self-defense side instead of the combative side, mm-hmm. you know, because you don't really want them going out there kicking and punching people if they're, yeah. if they're like, you know, I really specialize in the, the bullying stuff. So that's where what I'm doing with kids right now. And I have a uh, program called I'm Not a Target. And uh, it teaches them what to look for. If, you're, if the same guy's picking on you, now think about it. If he picked on you yesterday, he's probably going to pick on you today. You, 
at some point you need to realize, like, uh, you can see that coming, <laughs> you know. And the kids are kind of like, they never think about that, you know. They're too busy playing or talking to their friends. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, you know, if you don't want to keep getting beat up, you need to start start uh, paying attention. When does this guy do this? Does he do it the same time every time or, or just when he sees you or what? And, they, you know, they have various answers. But I, uh, this uh, Dream Center has a program called the Freedom Arts. And what it does is it teaches kids uh, a lot of different skills. And so I added my classes to that, uh, the self-defense class for the kids. Mm-hmm. Well, some of these kids had been bullied pretty bad. Uh, and, and so I took them through the program and – the director of it said, uh, you know, that really works. We watched, not only did the kids, their confidence and self-esteem pick up, but their grades picked up. They're the issue of respect. He goes, you're the only program in the in, in our program or, you know, our system that these kids actually, you know, they talk about you when you're not even here in a respectful way. And then some of the other teachers, they don't. I said, well, that's part of the training. That's the benefit of the martial arts mm-hmm. is that you really, and I even tell the kids, you know, if you don't respect me, I'm not teaching you. And they look at you like, and one kid goes, what do you mean? I said, uh, you know, do what I tell you, you're leaving. <laughs> it's pretty cut and dry right there. <laughs> well, but, you know, you're straightforward with them. I'm not playing games with you. Yeah. You know? And so uh, I said, I, want, I would like to have you here. But we have rules, and these these same rules I'm expecting you to follow, I follow. Have for a long time. And they look at you, and they, you know, they start to realize that this guy is for real. And it and it carries over with them, and that's great. That's great to see that happen. Yeah. So uh, I enjoy that. And with the adult class, I'm uh, uh, teaching the Hungar. I start that as my entry-level system because it's a lot easier for people to learn, especially if you're older, you know. And then we move on to the Kung Tao. And uh, things really get interesting when you go there. <laughs> <laughs> but it's fun, you know, and I enjoy it. So, And I, I like to see people, you know, where they're really getting helped. And, and they, I, I always ask them when they come in, I said, I need you to write me like a one-page paragraph why you're here and what you expect, you know. And then six months later, we write that again. Hmm. And, I, and you'd be surprised that. The, how the answers change or their reason changes because they, they grow a little bit. Six months isn't really a long period of time, but if they have committed themselves to it, uh, you'll see that. Yeah. And some of them who write really short explanations of why they want to be there, they usually don't last. So I'm already, I already get a heads up when they, when they write me that I read that and I look at it and, and I watch them, you know, and, and uh, they'll either stick around or they won't. Plus, how often do you guys train? Like with, with that, do you do that for the kids and the adults, or just the adults? Both. Okay. Well, the kids, I don't have them fill that out. I have their parents. Okay. Because I want the parents to know uh, why did you bring them here? Because a lot of times I get they well they don't have any discipline or or they're not respecting me, and then I have a little talk with the parent, and and uh, I said, look, I can help you with that, but but you got to understand something. The reason they don't respect you is because you're not demanding that. Well, yeah, I do. I said, no, you don't. How many times do you let them out of it? You know, because you're feeling sorry for them or you don't, you think they're going to hate you. I said, you know, I tell my students, the kids, I said, you might think I'm mean and you might not like me for a while, but later you're going to thank me. (laughs) And they look at me and they go, they just, some of them have no idea. But if you listen to Ed, he, he used to hate some of the stuff that he was having to do, mm-hmm. but I knew what it was going to build in him, you, you know. He didn't until now he looks at it and he's going, man, I, I, I'm glad I did that now. I said, yeah. I said, but you didn't like me for a lot of times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because when we talked a couple months ago, you know, he goes, yeah, man, I just remember being there and I hated it so much. But now, you know, I see why he did that and, uh-huh. you know, it, it's, he's got the full picture now. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so it's, you know, it's good. Now he's passing that on. Same thing, mm-hmm. you know, so that that's really good. And you see it works, you know. And, and uh, I just look forward to continuing on, you know. Kung Fu is something you can do, especially the softer side of it. You can do it until you can't move, you know. I mean, you can do it. A lot of Chinese practitioners in China, do, they're 100 years old, mm-hmm. still practicing their forms. 
still doing it like they did when they were in their 20s. Actually, yeah. probably better. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a smidge, yeah. Yeah, because it, a lot of kung fu, learning to – it is something that your body is constantly – as you get older, your body's changing. And so you you have to adjust, you know. But because of the nature of, like, the Tai Chi, for instance, it, it has these soft, fluid movements – they're very deceptive as far as people look at that and think you can't mm-hmm. do anything. But most of them have never heard of short power. They never heard of soft power because those two words don't seem to go together. But they do, you know, especially in the way the Chinese have developed their art. And uh, it really does take a lifetime to really learn it. The probably the the hardest thing is learning yourself. Yeah, I'm talking about who you are, what you are, and why you are. And uh, Kung Fu has some answers for those things, in my opinion. <laughs> so, hey, this is the part of the show where I usually say where I'm headed to, uh, but I've got nothing coming up in the near future. If you want to advertise your event here, shoot me an email at adam.bockler at gmail.com. I hope you enjoyed this show. As always, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or via RSS at adambockler.com. And hey, like the Martial Arts Podcast on Facebook while you're at it. Thanks to Mr. Dexter Parker for being on this month. Thanks to BJ Aberly on the music. And thank you for listening to me, Adam Bockler, on the Martial Arts Podcast. <laughs>